You are listening to History Man, the platform for historians, authors, and storytellers to reach the world with their stories of the American Revolution. Walk in the footsteps of heroes and proclaim freedom reigns. On today's episode, we're with Jeff Baggett again. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you very much. Jeff, we, uh, we've spoken in a previous episode about your books, and we want to get uh, into some of the uh, background of some of the history that you've, you've come up with in your research. But before that, I want to give a shout-out to a couple of our affiliate friends. One of them is Southern Campaign 1780, providing living history experiences that educate, entertain, and inspire. And Long Gone LLC specializes in genealogical research and guided historical tours in Camden, South Carolina. Both of them can be found on Facebook. So, Jeff, tell us a little bit about some of the some of your history uh, that you have found in your research of your books. And your books can be found where? Amazon.com. Amazon.com. Search for Jeff Baggett. Jeff with a G, G-E-O-F-F, that strange spelling. Baggett, B-A-G-G-E-T-T, and you can find my author page and all, all my links there. We were talking on a previous episode that uh, in, in what I have read of Brothers and Warriors, you've done a lot of research uh, on the background of those stories, and I would imagine, as we've talked in the previous episode, some of those were actually your, your relatives. Right, right. My, um, I think, unique perspective is when I started writing my, my novels, my my ancestors were going to be my characters, and you you were saying they were your research was the skeleton, and right. you just kind of my skeleton of truth. You you interjected the personalities and right. that sort of and thing. and I have to and I have to assign and you know and of course I'm a storyteller I'm I'm an author, and so I want I try to be as true to all the history as I can. I want to try I want to follow timeline. That's why I research culture locally, local politics, all those sorts of things. But I also want to have some fun. And I, I create some characters. Okay. I create a few characters that that, and I my characters tend to be people from from my life experiences. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like there are people that I've known in life, and then I imagine them when I'm writing these characters in these books. That's who I have in mind. Right. Some sometimes it's a celebrity or an actor even that I have in mind in you know in my mind's eye while I'm envisioning all this, but. Uh, but yeah, my key characters are are either ancestors of mine, or um, of my wife's, because she has some. Because I'm such a genealogy nerd that it, you know it's not just enough to dig in my own tree. But I, I went skulking around in hers as well, and and found some interesting characters along the way. Well, I want to hear about some of those uh, interesting characters. I think our listeners would would be interested to know a little bit about the different hats you've worn in your life prior to you taking on this uh, new chapter of your life as a, as a writer and an author and a historian. Uh, you've been a, a speaker, a parson, uh, and uh, you've been in the Army. You were, you've, you've got a science background. Yeah, that was all. I mean, I, I have a d- degree in medical laboratory science, chemistry, biology, minors. That's what I did in my youth when I was a kid. I... Uh, in early married life, I worked in the medical laboratory in Memphis, actually at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, and and then I felt a ministry call while okay. I was there. I went into youth ministry and eventually uh, planted a church about 20 years ago and pastored there for a long time, and, and then that, that season of my life kind of came to an end. I 
felt a calling away from it and started chasing after my passion, which is now, which is history. That's what, that's what I love to, to be a part of now, living history and, and finding the, the, the strangest and most interesting facts that I can discover and then trying to turn some of those things into stories. Well, we're very appreciative that you've entered this chapter of your life. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're a fascinating person to talk to, and you've done a lot of research. And, of course, we are on the edge of our seats when we, when we talk about history. Uh, and the founding of this nation, which right. we, we, we love so much. Tell us a little bit about your, your wife's uh, genealogy. Okay, well, uh, again, mo- most of my ancestors came by way of Virginia, the Carolinas. Uh, that's pretty much all my family lines kind of come through that, that region. Uh, but my wife, my wife's maiden name was Grimore, G-R-E-M-O-R-E, which I always thought was this when I first met her, I thought she was telling me Greenmore. You know, that's kind of what I called her when I first met her until she, I got straightened out when I saw it written down. And, and uh, as I got into her family tree, I went back about four or five generations. And then I hit this person in her tree. His name was Frank, and it was spelled G-R-I-M-A-R-D, which in my, you know, southern English world is Grimard. You know, and I'm thinking, what kind of name is that? And then why are they called Grimoire? But as I, I found found out they were French, and in French, G-R-I-M-A-R-D is Grimoire. Okay. It just was simply Americanized. And, and her she had an aunt who passed away several years ago who did the, some genealogy on that line. She'd written, she was convinced that they came, the, the Grimoire family Frenchmen came through French Canada and migrated down into the Illinois country and around Vincennes, Indiana. And she even wrote a little family book about all that because there, she found a few people by that surname up there. But after she died, there was a marriage record discovered in New Orleans for Pierre Grimont. And he was married there around 1764 to a young lady named Geneviève Colomb. And um, it, was an, it was a contract marriage with her mother. And apparently there were several, a lot of that was going on. It was right when the Spaniards were taking over. And they were trying to get all these good French girls out of the town and married off and, and away from New Orleans before the Spanish army moved in. Uh, as, that's as best I can tell. And so, uh, but then the next year they show up at, uh, at Fort Deschartes, Fort Deschartres, uh, on the Mississippi River in southern Illinois. And so they came upriver on the Mississippi in 1765. Their first child was born at the fort, and uh, the godfather was the commandant of the French militia there. And uh, I'm thinking, this is what is this about? And then, How are you finding all this? Uh, well, the, the records are, are there, mostly church records, actually, because of the French Catholic church records and her aunt had found a lot are of those records. Now, uh, some are okay. some are uh, but her aunt had found most of this stuff up in illinois but then he he's shows up in vincennes indiana he's on a group that swore their allegiance to the united states to virginia uh, when george rogers clark came and was part of the defense of fort sackville and when the hair buyer henry hamilton came down the you know an attack from the north down the Wabash River and um actually his widow he she was already widowed in 1784 and she received a, a pretty impressive grant of land in Knox County Indiana for his service 
to the Virginia Army during the American Revolution. I thought, this is a French immigrant. Some, that, that marriage record in New Orleans had named his parents. It named his, his town in France that he came from. Where was the town in France? Um, Germanoc. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I, I think they left through the port of La Rochelle to come. And so I had to figure out, how did he get to New Orleans? And so in my book, you know, I write this swashbuckling journey from from France through the Caribbean to New Orleans and then I introduce him to his bride and you know the trip up river on the Mississippi was a trip was paddling in French bateau like 24 man boats where they paddled against the current way before through through Chickasaw country right and they didn't like people coming through their lands and so uh, I had to research all of that and then he winds up somehow in Vincennes, Indiana, and he's a, an American patriot. And undoubtedly, uh, I don't think he ever spoke a word of English. It was a French settlement, a French place. And yet he's recognized as a patriot of Virginia during the American Revolution. And I thought, this is a story that's got to be told. And so that became, I called my book Frenchman and Long Knives. And when people think of Long Knife, they think all the books up there kind of are about George Rogers Clark and, and, and his men. And the French actually get a pretty bad rap as soldiers because they waffle back and forth. And I try to, when I talk to my Virginia guys when we're in Vincennes, I try to tell them you have to understand if your family was asleep in their bed 100 yards down the street, you kind of had to roll with whoever was in charge at the moment. Right. But the fact that uh, his wife did receive a grant for his service definitely proves that he was on the right team at the right time. You know, when, when the wind went down, right? That's right. And so, uh, so that was a that was a fascinating character. My wife loves that book. She thinks it's the sweetest. Which book is it? It's called Frenchman and Long Knives. It's book three um, in in my Patriot series. And uh, so it's about my wife saying it. very much a, a labor of love for her. She loves it because she loves the character of the wife, the, the personality that I gave her, and the love story. And, I, and it, she, just, it's the, she just loves it. She, I don't know how many times my wife has read that one. She, that right? I guess it's because it's her ancestor, too. Sure. Um, and I'm trying to think. What, my fifth book I wrote, uh, it's called Immigrants and Patriots. And uh, it is about some of her German ancestors she she descends from uh two two men who are buried in the same graveyard in shepherdstown west virginia one was named michael yeasley and the other one was nicholas shell very very german and uh dr shell was a surgeon in the continental army mr yeasley was in the german battalion or german regiment you have gone through a lot of family members right? <laughs> how in the heck I mean, I, I, I'm envious. I really am envious. And, and we could get into a, a whole story on where my family lineage stopped and started and that sort of thing. But that, that that's a whole lot of people that you're able to trace all the way back to the revolution. Yeah, and I didn't and do them all at the once. Revolution. Yeah, I didn't do them all at once. They were one at a time, you know. Right. But uh, What were your biggest foundational documents that you did on your research? Well, I'm trying to think. I have... A lot of the documents for the French side of my research okay. were, were already discovered by my wife's aunt. She okay. just hadn't, but that marriage record was found in the in the 
Diocese of New Orleans later. So I was able to bring, that was one thing that I was able to bring to that family equation. I'm glad that her aunt never knew that because it would have broken her heart to, to you know, right. <laughs> to think that, that her folks didn't come from, from Canada. Um, there, there are a lot of, Michael Yeasley is listed in the German, there's a book about the German battalion. And so pay records, all those things are in the book. Okay. Um, we know about their action, the German uh, r- regiment or battalion, whichever you want to call it. They were the they were part of the crossing of the Delaware, you know that infamous Christmas Eve crossing and, and attacking. Uh, now were these Trenton? Were and, these Hessians that were um, captured and then turned to the Patriot side, or were these actually German immigrants that, uh, that signed question. up for the Patriot good side? Good question. Actually, the German battalion was formed in response to the Hessians. I see. And so it was the first uniquely ethnic regiment formed in the Continental Army. Out of where? where uh, what, what area? Mostly, mostly from Pennsylvania, some from Maryland. So okay. Maryland and Pennsylvania, right along that border. Okay. Um, all those German communities there. And they answered that call in, in great numbers and joined a uniquely German regiment of soldiers. Their, 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 their brightest moment was at Trenton because they were the group, when they surrounded the Hessians in the orchard outside Trenton, they were able to call out in German for them to lay down their arms. Okay. That was right. this regiment. That was Michael Yeasley's group. I see. Um, he disappears off those rolls or time. He's listed as a deserter a time or two. There was a lot of that that went on as well. And th- those kind of give me avenues to chase side stories about where they were right. d- during the, during those time periods. Uh, Nicholas Shell was a little bit harder. Um, uh, I've, I found just a couple of continental references. I found one in one pension where uh, a soldier right after Germantown was treated by Dr. Nicholas Shell. And it's a soldier that went into Valley Forge. Uh, so, so when you went, I'm sorry, uh, that's on someone else's pension. Yeah. It's thousands of pension statements. If you go to southerncampaigns.org and you click on the link for the, for the pension applications for the Patriots uh, that they have there, I mean, it's, you're listed ABC order, and there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in under the A's and the B's, we're talking thousands of sure. records. How did you find that? Well, if you go on on fold3.com, fold okay. you can you can actually do name searches. Okay. And so and it'll even pull up names that are kind of close. A lot of them are dead ends, you know. Right. Uh, but every now and then you find this nugget of oh, that's the guy I'm looking for, and it's someone else who mentions him. I found a couple of other book references of pay records where he served. Uh, for short periods with some militia groups. I've actually entertained the notion of, because uh, he, um, those two characters in that German story are, are my, uh, their grandchildren married, and that's how my wife came to be, which I'm, I'm very happy about that, obviously. Uh, um, but I, I don't know if they knew one another during okay. the revolution, but in my book, in my story they do and I have almost told those two parallel because there are two characters with their own experiences during the war right. uniquely German right. but what I do is I kind of tell those two parallel stories and I kept, keep having these moments of intersection where their paths cross mm-hmm. until at the climax which is at Valley Forge in that, in that particular book um, so yeah so I, I use all you know I, I work off all the facts that I have and then I and then I have to infer 
some things beyond those facts. I found those characters were interesting to me because they were so far outside the realm of my own family history experience. Um, So, again, I'm discovering I have my wife has uh, some deep Kentucky ancestors. She has a Dutch ancestor who was like a like a pioneer in Kentucky. And so I've got a story in mind about him someday that I'm hoping that I'll make one of these books. I don't know. But uh, again, just a, another unique character. I, I, I can't, uh, I'm kind of reticent about writing about the Southern theater, even though it's my favorite, writing about that over and over. I'm right. trying to expand, expand those, that character sure. base just, just sure. a little bit. Yeah. I think what I gravitate to in these stories that you're talking about is we hear about Nathaniel Green and we hear about Cornwallis and we hear about George Washington and we hear about these, the, the big leaders. Mm-hmm. But sure. the beauty of these stories that you're talking about and the beauty of these pension records is most of those, and, and, and we've even talked about once the pension records came around, that was even years and years after uh, most of them died. Uh, you know, or, or a, you know, Some of them were actually spouses relating stories right. that they had been told by their husbands. That's right. That's exactly they right. Weren't even, they, they were very much secondhand, right. in a manner of speaking. Right. I think what, but what gravitates me or, or what I'm gravitated to is the fact that all of those pension records that we read through are everyday people. Everyday people. And I try to help people understand that because uh, people want to read those big, the big stories and the big names. I'm like, you know, it's, it's those ordinary farmers and those shopkeepers and those merchants. Those are the people who sacrificed and fought and bled and lost and died. Right. You know, uh, the untold, that's what I like to find. I like to write the big name people into my stories. You know, um, in Brothers and Warriors, Andrew Jackson as a teenager, right. didn't live very far away. That's exactly right. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to write him in. And I, I, and I assigned Andrew Jackson the personality that I thought Andrew Jackson, uh, a little bit foul-mouthed and a little brazen, and I, I wrote him my way right. into the story in uh, Immigrants and Patriots I, because these characters were in Washington's army. I do have an intersection or two where they, I have one in particular where they encountered George Washington in a spot so I you know I want to include things like that uh, whenever I can but it, it's really trying to tell the stories about the ordinary folk so your wife's German ancestors who were part of this uh, German uh, one was one was in the German regiment or battalion regiment, it was battalion. called both yeah and, and the other ancestors from your your wife's side why did they join great question I you know my interpretation from the German side is that that there was some offense to the mercenaries from Hesse Castle that were being paid and deployed to America, and or or other other or otherwise why would those I mean and they they were ordinary people they got their land grants from the king right 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 why I mean, why, were, why they would they settled, they were settled into that Western Pennsylvania Pennsylvania Dutch area and it was a very and it was a in a lot of ways as far as I can tell it was a pretty defined, isolated culture compared to the outside. Very German-speaking. When you got um, into Dutch Fort in South Carolina, when they came into that community to talk to them about joining on the Patriot side, they were almost run out of that community. The Germans didn't want anything to do. You go to the Moravian districts mm-hmm. in North Carolina, they were pretty neutral. They were right. They were providing providing supplies to both sides and, and wanted, to, wanted to stay neutral in that. Right. Uh, 
but this group were fighting directly against the, the and early in the war. Early I mean, in the war, yeah, so in '76 when that oh. regiment formed. But you know, all all politics are local. Right. Um, I don't know if it's the proximity to what was going on in uh, in New England. Right. Of course, later on, it turned into they were very much defending their home turf because after after Brandywine, you know, in the occupation of Philadelphia, you know, in Congress you know, fleeing town, going to York to hold session. I mean, this was on their home turf. I That's mean, right. this was their ground. That's right. So it became really personal. It's fascinating to me. That, that, the, the, the background as to why they were doing it. I, I, I wonder. Well, I've wondered about my Scott, you know, the Scott ancestors. You know, there were Scottish regiments in the, in the, uh, in the British Army. That's right. And I'm like, Culloden wasn't that long ago, you know. <laughs> exactly but but right. but you know, again, that's the difference between Highland Scots and yeah. Lowland Scots that's right. in proximity to England. Um, you know, it, it, it's just fascinating, it, it, and it could be not just one community to the next; it could be one family mm-hmm. to the next. Uh, my my second novel that I wrote, Partisans and Refugees, is set in Georgia, which is a was a bloody civil war. And, and, and it was not, it wasn't fighting against the Redcoats. It was literally Tories against Whigs. It was neighbor fighting neighbor, We're neighbor. About the civil war, you know, but this was the original civil yeah, war. Neighbor yeah. hanging neighbor, neighbor tarring and feathering neighbor, that, that, burning one another's homes down. This is what was going on in 1779, 1780 in right. Georgia, right. which was largely just a coastal colony at the time. Right. It didn't go very deep into, into the back country. And I had an ancestor, you know, that I discovered totally by accident that was in the middle of all that. And I'm like, oh, I got to write it. I got to write this story. And so then I had to go and research all of that. I didn't, sure. I didn't have a clue about Georgia. How much research do you put in each book? Um, it, it, well, it depends. It's multi-layered. Of course, the, the, the ancestor themselves, uh, I do that, the genealogy, the uh, documentary research. And then when I connect them to particular events, in the war and locales, then I have to research that location. I have to research battles. I want to try to get them right because somebody along the line, if I don't get something right, somebody's going to call me out on it. Historians are very particular. Very particular. We are a particular crowd. Right. Uh, they they will give you some leeway as as a novelist, you know, because they know you right. know you, you're, right. you're writing a novel, but they like it when you do get it right. right. I, I've had people take exception with. I had one lady who wrote me a just a, a review on brothers and warriors she kept she 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 just scolded me over mentioning that these boys were eating tomatoes i mentioned tomatoes in the book a couple times and she's like everyone knows that people in colonial period thought tomatoes were poison and didn't eat them and i actually responded back to her review i was like madam you know that's a myth that's been repeated so often that it's become truth i said but we've got a I know of one cookbook reference from 1775 in South Carolina with tomato recipes. Right. You know, they were very much table fare in the South. That's exactly You know, yeah. so, you know, there are some things that are so mythological, but then they're, they're, they're you know, they, they believe. I had a, one fellow who excoriated me because I mentioned a 54 caliber uh, smoothbore rifle. And, oh, he proceeded to dress me down on, well, if you knew anything about rifles, rifles are rifled. You know, there's no such thing as a 54 smoothbore rifle. And I wrote him back, well, sir, I've got one hanging on my wall. 
You know, they, they, were, they were rifles in form. They just didn't rifle the barrel because a smoothbore made a more versatile gun. You could shoot a ball through it, but you could also shoot. You could bird hunt with it. You know, it, sure. was, it was easier to load. And a lot of your frontier rifles were smooth bore, not, not rifled. And so, you know, it's, it's just the fun of history. Yeah, it, uh, the historians, though, they, do, they are quick to call you on whatever viewpoint of history that they have. Sure. And, and, and take that as, it's, it's tough. It's tough to maneuver through a lot of that. Uh, but it's but, fun. But it's, it's all, fun. oh, yeah. 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 Your, your passion comes out through your books. Tell our listeners how they can get a hold of your books. Amazon.com. Look for Jeff Baggett, Jeff with a G. Um, I didn't mention, but I, I write companion books. Each novel that I write, okay. I write a companion story for younger readers okay. in the 10 to 14 range. And they are, they. what I do is take a child character from the story, and I do something totally different. And this totally works in my imagination. So it's for kids. Right. For, and not for, kid, not for small children. I don't know how to write for small kids. But uh, more of the Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew kind of age, and uh, and their adventure books—they're very age appropriate. They're very language appropriate and thematically, and so. But um, each one of these has a companion book for a younger reader that goes with it, and I have a lot of families who like that because the grown-ups can read the grown-up book and the kids can read the younger, and they can actually talk about. They do overlap in, in, in many ways. What would you want readers to take away from reading your book? And I say book, books. Books, yeah. Um, I want them to have fun. I want them to be entertained. I want to be, uh, I'm an entertainer at heart when it comes to these books, so I want people to have joy in reading, but also know that these were real people. I do a chapter or a half chapter at the end of each one where I tell about the real people. I call it my confessional chapter. I, t- I confess who I made up and why, right. you know, and who was real and who wasn't. And I'm, this I chapter get, mainly for uh, you. You know, yeah. yeah it's, it's where I, it's cathartic, you know, where I can come clean <laughs> because my, I had my daughter got really upset with me over a character that didn't make it through one of these books, and she was heartbroken. Did that really happen, Daddy? And I'm like, no, honey, I made, I made that character up. And she was angry at me for about a week or so. I mean, she didn't, I didn't know if she was going to talk to me anymore. So I do have I do have a confessional time, and I do give a few other um, little clues about things uh, that happen with with the real people, and uh, so. But yeah, be entertained, but also know these are real. I want them to connect. I want to encourage people to find their own stories, right? Because er- we all have these stories, and there are people that share my story. I got a, a telephone call one day out of Brothers and Warriors. I got a phone call from a guy. He just said, I was reading your book, and I saw this was about this John Hamilton, and he thought, i got an ancestor named John Hamilton. And he went back in his ancestry tree, and he's like, holy smokes, that's my John Hamilton. And he called me on the phone, and he was passing through this area uh, it's probably a year and a half ago, and we met at the McDonald's out at the interstate. And I walked in, I was like, hey, cuz. And he's like, hi, cuz. And, and we never met before, but we had a common ancestor. And he was absolutely thrilled that I wrote a novel, you know, about these people. And so, and I've, I've had that happen two different times where I've met people that descended from the same That's patriot. very affirming, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's fun, cool but just to, just to meet people that way. So it's, it's, a, it's a neat community of folk that get into genealogy and live in history. And, I'm impressed uh, with your creation. I'm impressed with your research and uh, and, their pa- and your passion 
for telling these stories, and I thank you for sitting down with us. It is my pleasure, indeed. Thank, thank you. you.